and find it. <laughs> I didn't even realize they were plugged in. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, don't try to do that wirelessly. That that would be terrible. The delay alone would be so bad. Yeah, it'd be like being in a baseball stadium. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Up next, next, next in the World Series, 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 series. See, all I heard when he said that was Siri. I already started recording too. <laughs> of course you did. Ugh. Listen, I... You're just on those no more grad school vibes. A little bit. I think there's there's a part of me that can't accept that. <laughs> I mean, you can accept it for, what, three weeks? Don't ruin it for me. It's longer than three weeks. Three weeks from now is the first of the year. I don't. I won't start classes again until, like, the 19th or something. That's okay. I was doing paperwork today and setting a reminder for myself to do something when students come back, and it's less than a month. That's not fair. They just left. Yep. But they will be back in less than a month. I just, I don't know what to do. I, like, can you tell how tired I am right now? <laughs> I mean, it is late. Yeah, we're, we're recording. We're recording this like less than two hours before it goes live. <laughs> no, that's really true. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's okay. It's all good. Right. I, think I think you're going to like my story today. <laughs> so I think you're going to like mine. Mine's oddly well documented. Mine is well written. Oh. Like, it's so good. Like, you remember that day that you were like, I can't say this any better? Mm-hmm. Because it came from this book. It was that same book. It was the, yeah, the Haunted Halls of Ivy book by mm-hmm. Daniel Barefoot. Yep. Yeah. It's so well written mm-hmm. i'm like oh so yeah we're gonna we're gonna be reading some ghost stories today <laughs> Ooh, spooky i love it but you go first anyway but i i, I haven't we haven't done a good intro yet <laughs> like <laughs> we've barely done anything um i also have done just a lot of work today yeah i sent out a lot of christmas cards yeah fun so much fun. i cleaned my whole house yeah you really are living on those no grad school vibes like i didn't vacuum yet but like everything's put away but here's the thing i haven't done y'all Uh-oh. i haven't wrapped any christmas gifts <laughs> and i finished today <sighs> i wrapped the last things today i haven't wrapped one thing not the first thing. Oh, I should I say this on the podcast? I made my neighbors mad. Oh boy. Uh by that I mean I got home from work and they were all the way on my side of the driveway. Like in my driveway. So Why? I they, I they have no idea that I live here, it seems like. And that like our driveways might be connected, but I own this house. So so that 
part of the driveway is literally my driveway. <laughs> and it's one thing if they're just like a little bit over, like I'll get over that. That's no big deal. But I had to drive like literally into my yard to get into my driveway to park <laughs> to come home today. <laughs> That's not okay. It's really not. And but I got out and I, I don't know if they were watching through the window because I was fuming. So I know my body language said a lot. <laughs> Oof. Jeremy I, angry is a visible. Like you can see it in the way I walk. Yeah. So I get inside, like I had gone to the store to get some groceries, came inside because I realized I didn't have like any groceries in the house. And I do you ever to- have groceries in the house? Yes, I do, but I was quarantined, so I ate them all. <laughs> Excuses. But uh, I came in the house, and as soon as I got in here, and I was still fuming, I saw someone come out of the front of that house, get in that car that was parked in the middle there, like over on my side, back it up into the street, and then pull in and park like a normal person on their side. Was it a car that's normally there? How can I tell? They're all the same. They all look the same. All the SUVs that park there look exactly the same. They're all like Toyota, or not Toyota, uh, Chevy. The times I've been at your house since they moved in, I've only seen like two cars. The red car and the SUV? Yeah. No, there are always, when you're not here, there are like three SUVs there at any given time. Weird. Like there's a daycare in that house. I don't know. Not to turn this podcast into a, a <laughs> I don't know, a, what would that be, a, a frustrating um, podcast? Some people would call it a Adventures in Homeownership. What about Adventures in... Or Thought Experiments in Civility. I didn't say anything. I wasn't mean. I was just visibly angry that I had to drive in my yard to get into my driveway. Let's just lay down a different color of gravel on your half of the driveway. Let's put up a fence. In the driveway? Yes. Let's plant things in the driveway. They would just drive over them. And then I'd be angrier. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone listening. That is such a first world adulty problem. It really is. I was just so upset. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. I've been on the hunt for this book that does not exist. I swear this book. So I'm trying, I asked my mom what she wanted for Christmas. She wanted this new James Patterson book. She said she couldn't find it. I was like, okay, she couldn't find it at Target. So I'll go find it somewhere. Which is saying something because you know me, I buy a lot of books at Target. Right. And so I'm assuming mom couldn't find it at Target. Maybe the wait list in the library was too long because she's not one to really buy books. She usually just checks them out of the library. Right. So look it up. I Google it. A quick Google search tells me that the release date was today. I was like, okay, great. I'll go to Target today. They'll have it. They didn't have it. I was like, no problem. I'll go across the street to Barnes & Noble. It's Christmas. It's a special occasion. I'm willing to pay the price that's actually printed on the cover for this book. Go in, find the ginormous section that is just James Patterson books. He basically has his own corner of Barnes and Noble um, and don't see it no, anywhere. I've read most of those. Don't see it anywhere. And Google again. And I've Googled this book before. And the weird thing I kept finding was that 
you could only order it from bookstores in the UK. There's the only place that had it online. So I go to the customer service desk and I did something that I didn't think would, was possible. I stumped three different Barnes and Noble employees because they all, cause I asked one guy about it and he was like, I haven't heard of that one. Looks it up. Can't find it in their system. Pulls out his phone, Googles it himself, finds the ISBN, which is the serial number that identifies all published books, types that into their system what? and it doesn't show up. He asked someone that happens to walk by. And she's like, well, I don't really follow James Patterson, but I haven't heard of that one. She goes off to help another customer. He asks another person. They're like, uh, is it in the system? No. So the best guess of these three employees is that it is a Europe-only release. Okay. And me, I Just like, why though? So me and this guy start talking. And so the book is evidently about Russia. Like, it's about a murder that occurs in Russia. Like, fictionally, because James Patterson. I mean, same. Me too. But me and this guy at Barnes & Noble, like, came up with this conspiracy theory and this interaction that James Patterson was withholding the U.S. release of the book until after the election. Well, I found a copy of it online, but it is expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive because you're buying it from England. Even it's shipping through Walmart, like it's being sold through. But it's Walmart. coming from England. It's coming from England. It's thirty eight dollars. Yes, which is hilarious. The cheapest I found was Amazon. It was still like twenty eight dollars, and it still wasn't going to get here until February. Um, this one says that if you order it from the Walmart one, it'll get here between December twenty first and December twenty eighth. Yeah, but still so, thirty eight dollars, which doesn't make any sense for a hardback james patterson book exactly again not downing james patterson because doug has literally watched me read disgusting amounts of <laughs> paper trash. james I mean, patterson trash um well and the thing that gets me about this book it's not even on his on james patterson's own website i think it's going to be out in the u.s in april so that's what the Barnes and Noble guy and I found is that we kept seeing that April date. So hopefully it comes out in the spring. Hopefully for my mom, I guess. I was about to say um, Mother's Day. Yeah, there we go. Um, but instead, she is getting, ironically, a murder mystery ghost story. Who wrote it? Um, I do not remember the author. I just looked at their like new fiction section, and I am a big fan of reading the little employee. T- note tags at bookstores mm-hmm. and they said it was a great gift um, for people who love murder mysteries and thrillers and ghost stories. Um, it doesn't look like a book my mom would normally pick up. So they it anyway. <laughs> right. Now here's the question though. Is it wrong to read a book that you bought as a gift before you give it as the gift? Okay. Do you want do you want me to tell you the truth here? I inherited a, a, a bad habit from my mother, who is also an avid reader, mm-hmm. of always reading the book before you give it to someone. Now, <laughs> now, I do think like if you're going to give a book to someone that you're like, oh, this has meaning, or I really, if you're going to say, I really think you'll like it, you need to know what the book is. No. Like, you don't need to blindly give a book. Why not? Um, 
But so the only way I can do that though is if I read this book. Read it. So I'm going to read it. Um, I also bought a backup present just in case. In case the book's a little saucy. No, just in case it's <laughs> not good. Um, so I bought a backup present that I can give my mom instead. If this book isn't good, but I'll so, have plenty of time okay. to read it. But because what? I'm if if you don't give her the book, does that mean she doesn't get the backup gift? Or do, if you give her the book, does that mean she doesn't get the backup? Oh no, gift? she'll probably just get both. Because <laughs> the backup gift would also was also going to include me ordering one of those copies of the James Patterson book that won't get here until January. Right. Okay, but what were you going to say? You'll have plenty of time to read it. I'll have plenty of time to read it because I'm entering my pre-holiday quarantine. For some reason, you saying that yeah. my Google. He just screamed, I don't understand. Your Google is haunted. Sensitive. Haunted. I'm going to say sensitive. You are entering your pre pre-Christmas yes isolation quarantine basically i'm gonna spend a week mostly in my apartment or you know with Bo outside yeah but not going to stores not going out and seeing people um do you have food yes i have food i'm also gonna do a grocery pickup tomorrow oh that's smart yep so um but you know i know it's not a full two weeks i know it's not a guaranteed no infection but it just makes me feel better about seeing family so i fully understand <laughs> yeah but so what's the theme this week so the theme this week um i don't know jeremy what is our theme this week mr producer you came up with the theme the one time i actually chose the theme <laughs> and i need you to i need everyone to know that jeremy texts me and be like i came up with the theme uh, <laughs> with that many e's and m's I was just really proud that I came up with a theme after Doug has been on me about not coming up with a theme. <laughs> no, the theme this week is Southern Colleges. And I want to call this episode Southern Fried Horror or something, some variation of Southern Fried. <laughs> so we're going to tell stories from Southern institutions which apparently is a big like question mark because people want to fight about what the South is. Kentucky's not the South. I, I realized just now that no one could see the face I was making at you, but am I Southern? They assume. Yes, you are very Southern. So how is, how is, how is Kentucky? Okay. If I'm Southern. Kentucky as a whole is not Southern. The majority of Kentucky is Southern. We're not talking about Louisville. Yeah, because it's technically Indiana. That's Indiana. <laughs> There's a reason they call that area Kentuckiana. This is like when growing up in Tennessee, Memphis was Arkansas. Oh, that's that's pretty accurate though. <laughs> yeah. We we don't we don't claim Memphis. I think it's funny that you're like, I grew up in Tennessee and I'm like, I grew up in Kentucky, Tennessee. <laughs> Because <laughs> I did. Kentucky. Kentucky. Tennessee. Tennessee. Which sounds too much like Kennesaw. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Georgia. Georgia. Are you really going to sing that on the podcast? <laughs> no. No, I'm not. 
Because I'm not talking about Georgia. I'm talking about Alabama. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So located in Montevallo, Alabama. Oof. The University of Montevallo was founded in 1896 and is Alabama's only public liberal arts college. Um, and it's currently home to around 3,000 students. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. I say kids are um, that much younger than me. <laughs> right. Um, they actually kind of are that much younger than you. You're getting old. I'm young. I'm the a university, chicken. Mm, the university opened in 1896 as the Alabama Girls Industrial School, a women's only technical school that offered high school level courses. In 1911, it became the Alabama Girls Technical Institute, adding and college for women in 1919. Um, in 1923, it became the Alabama, Alabama College, Alabama State College for Women. <laughs> you really, you got it, you got it. It, it, it. I read this. So many words. I, I literally wrote this a few hours ago, and I was like, rereading. I'm like, that's wrong because it's literally Alabama College, State College for Women. Why did they have to say college twice? They really wanted you to know it was a college. Ugh. Um. But then in 1956, it became co-educational, dropping State College for Women off the name and admitting men for the first time. And then it was officially renamed the University of Montevallo in 1969. I love that both of our stories are coming from colleges that have so many different names. But if you think back through all the episodes we've done so far, every college has like 6,000 names. I know. Yeah. Um, so Montevallo is in the geographic heart of Alabama. It's like smack dab in the middle um an area steeped in civil war and quote-unquote antebellum history um and many buildings on campus actually predate the founding of the college oh uh just like the area it's in the university of montevallo is rich in history and the school is big on honoring its history and tradition um so everything i read about the school it reads like a private school but it's a public school like they're very big into like annual traditions festivals yeah, see, I would have assumed, even just going on the name, that this was a private school. Yep, no, just liberal arts, so. Which yeah. always feels a little private. Yeah, it, I mean, it, what is truly a private school, though? I mean, I know I work for a private school. I went One to that a, doesn't receive state money. I mean, but we get federal money. Actually, no, we get state money. Just not the same kind of state money. We get federal aid, like student aid, rather. Mm-hmm. So one of the traditions at Montevallo is the passing of ghost stories on campus, which are shared on regular ghost walks. Um, And there are quite a few at Montevallo, but today I'll be sharing the story of Condi Cunningham, tragically referred to as the girl on fire. Ooh, no. So Condi Cunningham was an Alabama girls industrial school student who began taking classes at the school in 1907. In 1908, she was a sophomore living on the third floor of Main Hall Dormitory. On the night of February 4th, 1908, Condi and her roommate were making fudge on a small alcohol-fueled chafing dish in their room. I don't like this already. Yep. They had missed or ignored the 9.30 p.m. bell that served as a warning for the upcoming curfew. It was strict lights out at 10 o'clock. So when the 10 p.m. bell ringing, the two girls scrambled to put their candy-making supplies away to avoid getting in trouble. Unfortunately, in their haste, the still-lit stove tipped over and alcohol spilt onto the floor, setting a rug on fire. Somehow, the flame caught on Connie's nightgown, 
it's actually believed that some alcohol might have also spilled on it. Panicked and hysterical, hysterical, Condi ran down the third floor corridor screaming for help. A staff member, who I'm assuming was like a dorm mother, was able to extinguish the flames, but Condi succumbed to her burns and passed away two days later. Oh my god, this is traumatizing for everyone else in the building, too. Yep. Um, and Condi's tragic death captured local headlines. It was the source of scandal and news for days, if not weeks, in the area. Um, but luckily, this is one of those times where a tragic incident kind of helped lead to a reform. Um, so the president of the school at the time, Thomas Waverly Palmer, launched a campaign in response to the incident. So at the Board of Trustees meeting on February 12th, so not even a week after all of this happened, um, President Palmer expressed great sorrow at losing one of their beloved students. He then gave detail of what happened to cause the fire and addressed the issues that had been concerning him for some time. He said, quote, first, our method and manner of caring for the sick. And second, the insufficiency of our protection against fire. President Palmer addressed the building committee and said that he had mentioned at least two previous times already that Main Hall needed its own water tower in order to fight fires. No surprise, this time when President Palmer asked for the water tower, he got it. Well, naturally. He also um, successfully campaigned for the addition of fire escapes to Main Hall. Um, he would believe that if a larger fire broke out in the building, um, an unreasonable there was an unreasonable danger to students um, due to the construction of the building. It was sort of added onto over time. So it went from one building to like a building with like two or three wings and there just was not enough egress for students to get out. Um, the water tower and fire escapes were added in late um, 1908. Um, he also saw to it that an infirmary was added to campus. So they actually bought a house and converted it to an infirmary um, because up to that point, the sick were cared for in whatever building they had lived in. Um, and if there was an outbreak of contagious disease, it would spread very rapidly. So President Palmer was like, nope, we can't do that. Bad time, um, bad time to bring that up. Well, here's the thing, though. So he did that in 1908. So just 10 years later, Spanish flu broke out. Oh, that's right. Yep. Um, so adding another building to care for the sick was very important to President Palmer and ultimately to the success of Montevallo because they didn't have that 10 years later, which I don't have any information on, but connected those dots earlier. I was like, oh. You would think that that since since all those changes were made, that that would be really good going into the Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it a pandemic? Yeah, it was a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, well, duh. <laughs> Definition. <laughs> um, well, it actually started in Kansas. That's why I'm like... Yeah, not... Nah. Go, go, go Google that. Go Google it. But the water tower and firescapes are not the only things that resulted from this tragic accident. Naturally. Not long after Condi's death, reports of strange phenomena started. Doors could be heard opening and closing on their own. Disembodied screams were heard in the hallways of Main Hall. So were the sounds of someone running. Oh. Um, a couple of years ago, in an interview with Alabama's CBS 42 News, a former student and resident of Main Hall reported herself and friends hearing the voice of an unseen girl speaking to them, especially if they were alone. So... Saying what? 
just little whispers. Hmm. Okay, that sounded a little too much like careless whisper, and I wasn't here for it. <laughs> but I oh. just, that's creepy. Yeah. Um, things that may haul up and known to fall off the walls for no apparent reason. Um, things will go missing, reappear, things like that. Um, but none of these is the strangest occurrence. God. Okay. What's the strangest occurrence? <laughs> so soon after Conti's death, the wooden door on what was her bedroom suddenly developed a dark pattern in the grain of the wood, which many believed to look like a face surrounded by flames. No. So it was thought it was possibly due to smoke damage and it was replaced as, you know, it kind of it created a stir. Administration was like, let's just replace this door. However, the replacement door developed the same darkened image in the grain. <sighs> yeah. The door was removed again and replaced with the metal door, and Condé's room is no longer used as a student residence. Boy, I know that feel. At least we don't think it is. Um, so according to that same CBS 42 article I um, read and watched the video, there's only one door that is different on the third floor. Um, it's a steel door, and it just leads to a storage space. Mm. Um, the second wooden door that was replaced with the metal door is now housed in the university library and is put on display around Halloween. Oh, that's... Okay, I don't like this in a lot of ways just because it is very creepy. I like that they kind of keep that around. Yeah, so um, like I said, this was a very well-documented story. The university archivist at Montebello has done a lot of work. Um, that quote I read was directly from the minutes of the Board of Trustees meeting, um, which she had actually created a whole little timeline of this incident. Um but I read something kind of creepy. Um, when I was looking at this, another door on the third floor, reportedly, people think is starting to develop that same pattern in the wood. Why would another door get it, though? Well, if it wasn't the correct room. Because remember that we don't know for sure which room. According to records, we don't know for sure which room. It's Connie's room. Because... This is the really unfortunate part of this whole story is in our Google Drive, um, I've added a document that's Montevallo Photos. Oh, I gotta go find it. Yeah. So, um, and in that you will see a, the second photo is a composite of the sophomore class from Condi's year. And the unfortunate thing is we don't know which of these student young women is Condi. Because it wasn't until a few years later that the university actually started to label. How do we... Oh, how do we not know? Don't know. Also, I just realized the way it rendered, there's a weird shadow in one of those photos. It's not... That does not mean it's her. <laughs> Are you positive? Yes. Oh my um, gosh. No. But if you scroll to the bottom of that, you'll see the second door that goes gets put on display in the library. Okay, okay. Um, and so it's that area around the doorknob that where, is... Where it's kind of dark. Yes, and evidently that was not there when the door was installed. 
tone. Y'all, this is... I'm not here for it. Also, we don't know which one of these women is her. We do not. And there are several group photos where they're almost certain that Condi would have been in the, would be in that group photo, but there is just at this point in time no way of knowing. Which is that her. is that building in the back of that the first picture? Yep, that is Main Hall, and that is actually um, early on. That's a few years before 1908, because um, it's actually still under construction at that point. It's gorgeous. It is a really pretty building. So that sort of closest section to you in the photo um, that looks the most complete, that was the original building. And then they added that sort of central hallway and then that next little part of the building at the end. And those are all the students of the um, industrial school. I'm just, this is, this is scary. This this one freaks me out. Yeah. Um, but because of, I think, the intensity of the incident and um, sort of the things that have happened since, um, Montevallo is actually regarded as one of the most haunted college campuses. Um, this is consistently ranked as one of the um, most popular college ghost stories in America. Oh, my God. I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. I th- I've heard of Montevallo, but I've never heard of this story Mm -hmm. but that is the story of the girl on fire i don't i don't like i don't there's something about someone being on fire that really freaks me out well yeah yeah i don't i don't know it doesn't help that again i took a break from my Grey's anatomy binging Mm -hmm. but also to watch 19 and telling this maybe we shouldn't call this episode southern fried (gasps) oh Oh, well, then you got to come up with a title because I was doing real good with that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No, we can't call it that. Not anymore. Yeah, I didn't know your story was going to be like that. I didn't think about it until like partially, partially mm-hmm. through this. Oh, Lord. Mercy. Okay. I hope yours is lighter. Uh, I mean, okay. A little bit, actually. <laughs> But, okay, so my story takes place in Tennessee. Oh. <laughs> Since we were just talking about it. Uh, it actually takes place at what is now known as Tennessee Wesleyan University in Athens, Tennessee. Have you ever been there? I know where Athens is, but I've never been there. Okay. So a couple of things I want to note really quickly before I start reading from this story is that uh, Tennessee Wesleyan is a private Methodist university in Athens, Tennessee. It was founded in 1857 and is affiliated with uh, the United Methodist Church, blah, blah, blah. Nothing too like crazy there. Now, here is what's funny about it. And it's going to be mentioned in the story as well, but I want to start with this. Tennessee Wesleyan was founded in 1857 as Athens Female College. Uh, it consisted of one building. Then it was changed to East Tennessee Wesleyan College. Then it was changed to East Tennessee Wesleyan University. Then it was changed to Grant Memorial University. <laughs> then it merged with Chattanooga University to become U.S. Grant Memorial University. 
Then it split from Chattanooga and became Tennessee Wesleyan College. And eventually in 2016, it became Tennessee Wesleyan University. (laughs) Why do these colleges have to have a thousand names? I don't know. I I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Mainly because like, it's usually like a variant. That was not a variant. (laughs) No, that's like... I don't even know what that's like. Well, it's a lot is what it is. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk a little bit about the story. <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. I'm, I'm... It's like you were trying to be creepy, like scary creepy, and you just came off as creepy creepy. <laughs> like Chester the Creeper. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. Um, Okay, so let's read about a spirited romance at Tennessee Wesleyan College. (laughs) I feel like I was supposed to give an ew. I mean, you were supposed to give something maybe, but okay. So some Southern colleges are haunted by events, right? Mm -hmm. And they're events that transpired on their campus sites long before the schools came into existence. That is the case with Tennessee Wesleyan College uh, that at the time that this story was written had approximately 800 students, which which makes sense for a small private university, right? Like really small. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me that look. So although the school's been an integral part of Athens, a town of about 15,000 in the eastern part of Tennessee, mm-hmm. the ghosts here came to be in the later part of the 18th century. Why are ghosts always old? I, I don't know. There's no such thing as a ghost that's like doing TikTok dances. <laughs> I just want a ghost to like wake me up in the night and be like, it's Brittany. <laughs> okay. So, a state historical marker on the Tennessee West St. Campus is the only tangible reminder of the bittersweet human drama that unfolded on the grounds during the, te- oh my God, the tempestuous what tempestuous i I have an english degree too (sighs) days of the revolutionary war okay so we're going all the way back so in 1756 this portion of tennessee was the exclusive domain of the cherokee indians uh despite the incursion of british military forces who attempted to build and maintain outposts at strategic geographic sites so one such installation was fort Loudon, I think that's how you say that. A tenuous peace between the British intruders and the Indians came to an end in February 1760 when the Cherokees laid siege to the fort. So for six months, the people trapped inside the outpost (laughs) subsisted on meager rations, but they were ultimately forced to surrender when starvation became a certainty. I'm having flashbacks to Tennessee history class in like elementary and middle school. Well, I didn't take Tennessee history. I took Kentucky history. (laughs) Well, yeah, because you went to school in Kentucky. I went to school in Tennessee. So have you actually heard these stories before? Yes, I know of Fort Loudon for definite sure. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be where we're coming from here. (laughs) So assured that their offer of surrender had been accepted, the emaciated men, women, and children set out on a track from Fort Loudon to Fort Prince George. 
En route, the Indians launched a brutal, unprovoked attack on the defenseless group. Hmm, sort of provoked, but I'm not going to say unprovoked, really. Yeah, I'm going to go with provoked. But most of the unsuspecting unarmed people were annihilated. Ugh. So one woman, however, was spared as a result of her impassioned plea to the chief, whose name I will not try to pronounce because I feel like that is rude. She and her tiny son were taken to the village of the Overland Cherokees, where they were adopted into the tribe. So in time, the chief married the white woman, and she bore him a beautiful daughter. They named her... Nope, I'm not going to say that. But as the years passed, Weena, which was her nickname, uh, grew into a woman of ravishing beauty, great charm, and wonderful personality. Her irresistible beauty caught the eye of every brave in the tribe. One of, one of their number meant to have Weena as his wife, no matter what the cost. Mocking Crow was a rather cocky, callous young man for whom Weena had little regard. Despite the gifts that he had lavished upon her family and the magnificent athletic prowess he exhibited before her father, the pretty Indian princess wanted nothing to do with him. She openly rejected his marriage proposals on more than one occasion, which, like, just stop. Stop. She's not into you. She said no. She said no, and that is enough. That should be enough, right? So true love came into Weena's life when one day during the Revolutionary War, her father and some of his men returned with a badly wounded British soldier they had come across during a hunting trip. Weena was immediately taken by the handsome young man. She joined with other women in the village to restore him to health. Meanwhile, the infatuated nurse and her patient fell madly in love. Some members of the tribe suspected uh, that her father would disapprove of his daughter's relationship with the soldier, but actually the chief was overjoyed because he had come to admire the stranger's courage and strength of character. So, when the soldier proposed to his princess, she accepted with delight, and her father gave his blessing to the marriage. After the two became one, Weena's father bestowed a special name upon his new son-in-law, and because the British fellow stood tall and proud, he was called Conestoga, which means oak. Am I literally just reading something that you know about? I mean, I don't know the details of it. I remember, like, I know the general framework in Conestoga, like, rang a bell. Okay. Well, although happiness surrounded these newlyweds, all was not well. So overcome with anger and wrought by rejection, Mocking Crow vowed to have his revenge. <laughs> so nothing short of demise of Conestoga would satisfy him. And his opportunity came only days after their marriage. Conestoga and a number of his adopted Cherokee brethren set out on a hunting expedition. So in advance of the party, Mocking Crow secreted himself in the undergrowth in the area where Conestoga and the others planned to hunt. Upon their arrival, the British man gave chase to a deer that disappeared into a thicket. When some nearby bushes began to rustle, he believed that he had located his prey. Instead, Mocking Crow lurched toward Conestoga with a razor-sharp knife. 
Before the unsuspecting victim could resist, the brave slashed his throat. The rushing to the aid of their fallen comrade, the hunters saw the life was quickly ebbing from Conestoga's body. Anxious that word would get back to the village, the fleetest of the braves set out on a furious race. He reached Weena, delivered the, the doleful tidings, and then accompanied her to the scene of the vicious attack. Conestoga was yet clinging to life. Weena, tears flowing down her cheeks, knelt beside her husband and grasped his cold hand. She used her other and tenderly rubbed his face and begged him not to leave her. But death would not be denied. As Conestoga closed his eyes, Weena screamed, not streamed, screamed. This is not a Twitch stream. (laughs) Weena screamed that she could not live without him. Then she caught sight of the weapon that was used to slay her husband. Taking hold of the bloody knife, Weena thrust it into her heart and joined her soulmate in death. Very Shakespearean. When Weena's heartbroken father arrived at the site, he offered prayers and the Indian rituals for the burial of the dead. Braves were then instructed to bury the bodies on the spot of the tragedy rather than transport them to the village for interment. And yes, offering a final farewell to his loved ones, uh, her father placed an acorn on the hand, <clears throat> sorry, in the hand of Conestoga. In that of his dear daughter, he nestled a hackberry, a hackberry seed. So before many years passed, two seedlings sprouted from the very ground where Conestoga and Weena were buried. And before the, he ate, before the aged chief died, he took pride in the oak tree and the hackberry tree that stood side by side at the gravesite. When the burial ground became the campus of Athens Female College, right, right, uh-huh. in the mid-19th century, the two trees weren't harmed. Instead, as the story of the real-life lovers who went to the grave together was told by generation after generation of students, the trees became an amorous spot where many campus romances took root and blossomed. But then in 1945, the hackberry was stricken with disease, thus forcing the college officials to take it down. After Weena's tree was removed, the oak mysteriously began to wither and die, and it was cut down five years later. Even though nothing more than a metal sign now marks this historic spot, romantics will tell you that the spirit of Conestoga and Weena yet abide there. So for many years, there have been sightings of two spectral figures floating about the place where the trees once grew. Ghostly voices and phantom whispers have often been heard, and those who have experienced the supernatural presences report that they're not hostile or frightening they're comforting so there are a few campus sites in the south that are more romantic than this special one at tennessee wesleyan for here when hand-holding lovers hear what others believe to be only the rustle of a gentle breeze or see what others believe to be mere shadows they know what it really is a simply a reminder from the spirit world that true love cannot and will not die. Oh. So I did have a nice one. <laughs> you did have a nice one. But I like that because it's we always talk about haunt like creepy in a haunting way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is creepy, don't get me wrong, I would be creeped out. <laughs> yeah. But it's really 
it makes my hippy dippy plant loving heart very happy. Yeah. Right? They better have done something cool with that wood when they cut those trees down. If they didn't, I'd be mad. But then like would the wood be haunted? Maybe, but in a good way, right? Yeah, I guess technically. Unless it's like No, mad. the wood wouldn't be haunted if the if the location's still being haunted, the wood can't be haunted. Okay. Because unless you're just like splitting that spirit up like a horcrux. Oh gosh. Well, I'm just like, I, like the reason I'm like, hopefully it's something cool with that is like, how lame would it be if like, oh, we chopped this down and we made, like, I don't know, a coffee table. No. <laughs> or like a magazine rack. I bet they didn't really do much with it since the hackberry oh, yeah. like, was diseased. Was diseased, and then the the oak tree just kind of died. Did the oak tree get the same disease the hackberry tree had? Shh, no, it's (laughs) mystical and creepy. Not a disease. Don't give me that look. (laughs) Have my moment. But I think those are both like good, valid southern stories. Yeah, oh, and they're to me, both of them fit like the southern idea. Yeah, because I think they're both very much steeped in like history. I think in oral history, because that we obviously don't know who your person is. We know the person's name, but we don't. We don't like it's been passed down through Mm -hmm. the story, right? Right. And I actually first heard the story from my friend and co-worker Cassie who is from Alabama oh really yeah and like when like in talking about podcast she's like oh have you ever heard of this have we talked about this I don't remember her telling you about this yeah so um she has a friend that goes to Montevallo um yep but so it's very much like that tradition of passing things down I think my in my story where President Palmer was like we have to do something about this it was a very reactive nurturing kind of let's take something care of good coming from something horrible right which is kind of the same thing here something good coming from something absolutely hor- well like we're gonna ignore for a second the you know mass genocide but um yeah, well, yeah. because i don't have the emotional bandwidth to do that right now mm-hmm. but i do think it's really cool that you know, this horrible murder suicide thing happened and what happened was nature. Mm-hmm. And dust I, dust. I also love that you always go, mm-hmm, when I make a really hippie comment. <laughs> I'm just giving time for my chakras to realign. You all know what I have to deal with here. <laughs> Do you hear? Do you hear this? Y'all know what I have to deal with here. You you hear this? <laughs> okay. Uh, Doors think... swing both ways. Just saying. That was a weird comparison. <laughs> I think we're at the end of the podcast, though. Yeah, I think so. Um, but if you enjoyed it, let us know. Please let us know. Subscribe, like, give us a review. Do do all the things on the Instagrams and Twitters. Yeah, find us on Instagram and Twitter at Creepy Campus Pod. 
shoot us an email at creepycampuspodcast at gmail.com. If you review us on um, iTunes, make sure you mm-hmm. leave us some words. Don't just get, I mean, if you want to give us just like five stars, I'll, I'm here for that too. <laughs> but like, you know, tell us something funny. Yeah. A, a couple of reviews have been really funny. So <laughs> yeah, let us know what you like, what you don't like. I'm here for honest feedback. I'm I value literally, that. Literally an actor. Just give me notes. Will you take a note? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an actor. I take notes. I fear the day where I have to give you negative feedback. It'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. All right, everyone. It's late. It's like 1130. <laughs> I know everyone's like, Jeremy, that's not that late. Shut up. No, I'm old. That's late. I'm <laughs> in bed. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.